0: This program is brought to you by the partners of A Rood Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Rood Awakening International today.
1: If we cannot digest food, eventually our physical body will die. Likewise, if we cannot digest or understand the Bible, our spiritual food, then our spirit will die. Learning to read the Bible for ourselves and rightly dividing the truth is an absolute necessity for spiritual survival. In this episode, Michael Rood explains how to properly digest that word because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom to our fans, are you hungry? Are you digesting your spiritual food? Well, we'll find out what that means tonight on Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. It's episode eight of Michael's 10 episode series, Rightly Dividing the Truth. But first, let's say hello to my co-host, the ambassador club mama, Angie Clark. Now you know it's gonna stick. Yeah, I know it's gonna stick. See, now that's your new title. Thank you, Scott, I'm glad to be here. I hesitated saying, do I say it? Yeah, we're gonna say it, why not? So now, as part of being our ambassador club liaison, our coordinator, uh, you get a lot of the mail that comes in, some of the, uh, the niceties that people wanna say for Michael and the prayers that come through. And you received a poem the other day. This is a rare occurrence. Not everybody sends a poem. Right. And you have it here. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind reading it. For I would everyone. love
0: to read it. I would love to read it. This is from Teresa Ann. Shabbat, Shabbat, connect the dots from Eden to paradise. To walk with Yah in wisdom daily is my advice. His mercy every morning greets all who have a heart to hear His plan of salvation, to walk in His new start. Shabbat Shalom for eternity is given to all who heed, the call of His good news fulfilled in Yehovah's speed. Shabbat Shalom, please do not roam, stay close at Yeshua's hand. Forgiven, healed, delivered, walking in His commands. For He will never leave you to walk in your own way. Continually thinking of you, He reaches out today. Oh, come, my love, and follow me; for straight will be our path. Walk with me in my kingdom, far from Yahovah's wrath. Yes, judgment day is coming; for Yah, He is not slow. His mercy waits, His kindness to the earth below. Shabbat shalom, my loved one. Shabbat shalom, my heart. Shabbat shalom, His mercy is ready for your new start. Wow,
1: that is great! Isn't that wonderful? Huh? You wonder what the uh, what the inspiration was, and was that written on a Shabbat? Was it just? <laughs> I'd, just come to her. I
0: don't know, but it's just beautiful. And of course, she gives scripture ref- references and, you know, just that's beautiful. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's, let's get into more of what you have over there in just a second. Okay. Actually, we're going to talk about our love yet
1: Sure, you, sure. There's very little time left, but thank you for sharing that. But first, here's a piece of episode eight that you're going
2: to see tonight called Spiritual Food. Here's what you'll see from Michael Root. This is such a miracle that after nearly 2,000 years that Israel is being brought back into the land and that the Gentiles are coming into Israel from the ends of the earth and they are recognizing that they have inherited lives from their forefathers. That they have inherited Babylonian sun god worship in all their major festivals. Christmas is Babylonian sun god worship. Nothing to do with the birth of Yeshua. Yeshua was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles when the Word is made flesh and tabernacle among us. Easter, Easter is the name of the bare-breasted goddess of fertility, it has nothing to do with the resurrection of Yeshua. Yeshua was pacif- crucified at Passover when the Passover lambs were sacrificed. He was raised and then presented the first fruits when those who are in the grave Came forth out of the grave. When he arose, they arose and appeared to men in the streets of Jerusalem. And Yeshua then presented the first fruits before the throne in heaven as the Kohen Gadol forever, the high priest forever. His first official act in his resurrection was acting in the role of the high priest and then presenting the first fruits before the Father's throne in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, these prophecies are now coming to pass that we understand. The Gentiles understand and Israel understands that we have all inherited lives from our forefathers. We are to come back to the Torah of which no one is allowed to add one single commandment or subtract one single commandment. We are to listen to the prophet. We must shema him. We must hear and obey. And if we will just admit that we have inherited a lie. If we will cry out in repentance, the Almighty promises that this once, he will reveal his hand, his might, and the strength to the Gentiles, and they will know that his name is Jehovah. Okay,
1: so there you have it, a little bit of spiritual food, what Michael's talking about tonight. And uh, before we go, we wanna talk about, this here is also from Michael, these are gifts, and these are gifts to everyone who gives to this ministry through our Love Gift program. And uh, right now we have a teaching called Twisting the Word. This is with Miles Jones. Love Miles. I love Miles too, yeah. And he talked about how there's 5,000 Greek manuscripts out there that we know of, and not one of them is the same. They're all wow. slightly different. Wow, wow. So. No wonder people say, well, can I trust the Bible? Is it true? I mean, what? how did this happen? Who did it? Why? So Miles goes into the whole history of how that changed and how actually the Torah brings us back mm. into- Ties what, everything what together. Ties it all together. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting. So that God has never allowed his Bible to get- twisted beyond comprehension.
0: Love that. Yeah, he's
1: allowed it to happen to a certain point. So this is a great teaching from Miles. You'll get this with a love gift of $50 or more. If you want to give $100 or more, you can get the teaching plus this neat little thing here. I was talking with uh, David Robinson about this. This is an oil lamp. And it actually comes with, it's real. It comes with wicks. It comes with uh, oil to put in here to burn. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mary Nell Wyatt actually has one of these from Israel that is- You two, probably
0: got to see it in person I did, I got didn't to hold you? my hand. It was
1: 2000 years old and I can tell you it's exactly this size. This is an accurate replica wow. of that very wow. thing. It was a Roman era uh, oil lamp that they determined to be around the time of Yeshua. So this is a, from a replica from around the time of Yeshua. Fair and nice. it says uh, the, uh, the Lion of Judah is depicted on here. So you'll get this with uh, two wicks and uh, some oil to burn in here and that With along with their teaching, is the gift for $100 or more. Or if you want to give above and beyond at the $300 mark, you'll get all that, plus this right here. And this is heavy. This is. These are salt and pepper shakers. Angie, if you wouldn't mind helping me with this. I love this. In the shape of pomegranates. How about that? They're literally salt and pepper shakers. I think this one is the pepper. It has one uh, slot here. That one has has three. three. Yep. Yep. And so you literally fill them on the bottom. It's salt and pepper shakers. Comes with a silver-plated tray. Uh, These are... They feel like solid brass. They're very heavy. They
0: are they I think they're cast iron actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the, the description says they're brass. I oh, don't know. Okay. But they're beautiful things. Yeah. So you'll get this uh, for a gift of $300 or more. And that's just what we like to do to uh, thank everyone for Uh, just donating to this ministry.
0: A conversation starter. A conversation
1: starter. Speaking of conversation starters, okay, you have something there beside you uh, that we're gonna get into right after the calendar. So hang on to that thought just for a second. So this is the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. And uh, we are on the 28th day, or 29th day now, I guess, of the month, uh, the third month. This is when Yeshua proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. That is on your calendar here to help you keep the date. And something else to help us stay on track is some Cards You have over there. these
0: are these are extraordinary. They're one of a kind. We did them with the ambassadors in mind um, Yes,
1: now these are for ambassador club members only, only right? Okay, and
0: this is they come in this little this little sleeve are And these this, are prayer cards. They is that are right? prayer cards for the entire year uh, They're pretty self-explanatory when you open them up and there's there's guides in there um, and the artwork on these are just incredible. I mean Sterling outdid himself. Yeah, Sterling's our
1: our graphic designer. And
0: this was just totally, totally uh, driven by the Holy Spirit. And so it was just an honor to take part of it.
1: Now on the back, speaking of the calendar, there's week one, week two, week three, week four. Correct. This has to do with every biblical month, right? So the third biblical month. Yes. I don't think that it starts, you know, May 1st or something like that. It it, starts on the first biblical day, which is May 14th. It happens to be for this month. Right.
0: And then you go weeks one, two, three, four. Right. It, It correlates. With the, with the calendar.
1: And it keeps everybody on track. The idea is to have everybody praying, praying the, same the same thing, team. the same week all over the world. Yep, yep. Beautiful.
0: And whenever you go through that week, you just put it in the back of the deck and wow. that's it. Beautiful. It, it is, it now is. Now that's
1: available to Ambassador Club members only, only. and You can get it with the information you're seeing there on the bottom of the screen. So if you're an Ambassador Club member, great. If you're not, Contact Angie and she can get
0: you signed up. Yeah, we'll we'll be happy to sign you up. All right, thank you, Angie, appreciate it.
1: Thank you, thank you, Scott. All right, so learning to read the Bible for ourselves and rightly dividing the truth is an absolute necessity for spiritual survival. Tonight, it's episode eight of a 10-part series from Michael Rood, Rightly Dividing the Truth. So stay tuned, but first get ready for the Kiddush with Michael, coming up. Mm -hmm. Scholars have uncovered more than 5,000 handwritten Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, but not one of them is the same. How did the Bible change so much, and who did it? So many people trying to twist history or twist the words of Scripture to sell their narrative. That's really one of the most important things you have to learn. What's the agenda behind this change? What's the agenda behind this insertion? Twisting the word with Biblical linguist Miles Jones. Exposes the politics, power, and compromise that have twisted the word of the Almighty over the centuries. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift, and we'll send you Twisting the Word with Miles Jones on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you Twisting the Word plus an Ancient Replica oil lamp featuring the Lion of Judah, plus burning oil and wicks. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you Twisting the Word, the Ancient Replica oil lamp, and this beautiful set of salt and pepper shakers made in Israel. Exquisitely crafted in the shape of pomegranates, these unique conversation pieces are made of copper and come with a silver-plated tray. These are special gifts from Michael Root to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends May 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at
2: MonthlyLoveGift.com. Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. When did Abraham see his day? When the king of righteousness, the Melech Zadik, brought forth bread and wine. And when he brought forth bread and wine, it says that, the Melchizedek blessed the Most High and that prayer is still remembered and is what Yeshua said when he blessed the Most High the night of the Last Supper, the night before the Passover lambs were slain. Yeshua said, Baruch Yehovah, Eloheinu This broken bread represents my broken body my body which is broken for you by my stripes you are healed. Do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And in the words of the Zadik, he blessed the Most High. Barukata Yehovah Elahino Malakalam. Bore Pri Agophan. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents and has represented from the time of Abraham the renewed covenant. My blood will purchase for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Shabbat shalom. Shaul wrote to his beloved son, Timothy, concerning the adulteration and obfuscation of the true gospel of the kingdom that was transpiring back in the first century. And he told Timothy to be very diligent, be very diligent, study or be diligent to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Everyone divides the word, but we only have the true word when it is divided rightly, when there is a right judgment, a right cutting, a right judgment that is being made concerning that which is being communicated. We cannot just take a line here, a line there, point our finger to it and say, oh, this applies to me, that applies to me. No, we have to understand the scriptures in the light of to whom it was addressed at the time it was communicated. One of these examples we read in our last episode is found in Galatians chapter one and verse eight. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel or good news unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, I also say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then what you have already received, let him be accursed. Now, can that be true in every single situation? That no matter what church pew you sat in, no matter what religious denomination you were brought up in, you've already received the truth, you already know the truth, and anyone who says anything outside the parameters of your particular denomination, let them be accursed. That is how this verse is used over and over and over in every denomination in the English world today. Well, let's take a look at it and see if this is a correct cutting of the scripture, that this is a correct application. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one, which is Shaul's letter, his first letters to the believers in Corinth. In chapter 12, verse one, we read, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now here's something you wanna mark out. In your King James version of the Bible, you'll notice that the word gifts is in italics. Why? It was added by translators, and they let you know that they added it, but all we had to do is go back to and look at the original word. Now, concerning pneumatics, brethren, pneumatics. this is spiritual matters, things deriving from, proceeding from, concerning the spirit. Now, concerning spiritual matters, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, as we go on, we see that there are spiritual gifts, that are addressed. There are manifestations of the spirit that are addressed. There are acts of dividing of gift ministries within the body of believers that are addressed. All these are spiritual matters, so it's important for us to understand that concerning spiritual matters, I would not have you to be ignorant. Now, if the concern is that we are not to be ignorant, then there has to be instructions. And there also has to be a possibility that we are ignorant to begin with and we need this instruction. And so he goes on to say that you know that you were Gentiles carried away to worship these dumb idols even as you were led. See, we may have been misled our entire lives but the scriptures are given to lead us out of that ignorance by doctrine, by reproof, for correction, which is all instruction in righteousness. It is God's will that his people are not ignorant of spiritual matters. That's why he gives us his instructions. And he also tells us that we basically believe the way we are led. We were worshiping dumb idols because that is exactly how we are led. We inherited the worship of pagan gods, as uh, Jeremiah says, because that is what we inherited. That is the way that We are led. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah can shed some further prophetic light on this very subject if you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16. It says in verse 10, it says, the children of Israel are going to cry out and say, why hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then, then you will say unto them, Jeremiah, because your fathers have forsaken me. Your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord. They have walked after other gods. They've served them and they worship them. They have forsaken me and have not kept my Torah. And you have done worse than your fathers. Behold, you walk everyone in the imagination of your own heart, you just make it up. You just make it up and you won't listen to me. Therefore, I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, that your fathers have never known. And there you are going to serve other gods day and night. And I will show you no favor. Then verse 14, because this is an entire prophetic time period. Therefore, therefore, it starts out. What's the therefore, therefore? Because you will be driven into exile where you will question the reason for your predicament, and you're gonna cry out and say, why has he done all this to us? Behold, the days are going to come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, Yehovah lives that brought the children of Israel up out of the land of Egypt, but they will say, Yehovah lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands, whither he had driven them and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Behold, I will send forth many fishers, says the Lord, and he, they will fish them out, and after them I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, from every hill, and out of all the holes of the rocks." For my eyes are upon all their ways, they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. And first, I will recompense their iniquity, and I will double their sin, because they defile my land, they have defiled, filled my inheritance, my land, with the carcass of their detestable and abominable things. See, God's testimony is that the entire nation of Israel had grown so bereft of the truth that their offspring had been raised with another gospel already. And any reversal or repentance of that perversion is good. It, it's not a curse. He says that he's going to, to disseminate them to the ends of the earth. And there, they are going to question their reality They're gonna cry out and say, why has this happened? And then the Almighty is gonna do such a miraculous act that will make the crossing of the Red Sea pale by comparison because he is going to, against all odds, bring Israel back into the lands in the last days. As Isaiah said, a nation will be born at once. The seventh Sabbath of the counting of the Omer, according to the creator's prophetic calendar. Israel becomes a nation in one day, fulfilling that ancient prophecy. And when they come into the land, it says now in verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee, Israel, when they're gathered back into their own land. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and the Gentiles shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies. They've inherited vanity, empty religion, and they've inherited things wherein there is no profit. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and it is profitable, but what they have been given is religion that does not profit them. Shall a man make gods unto himself that are no gods? And yes, here the Gentiles prophesied to come to the land of Israel in the last days, in the days of affliction, the time of tribulation, at the time that Israel, who had been scattered over the face of the earth, been brought back into their own land after more than a millennium of exile the Gentiles will hear the truth and will cry out in repentance for the abominations they inherited from their forefathers, just as Israel inherited abominations from their forefathers and had gone away. And when the Gentiles understand that they have inherited the worship of pagan gods, when they recognize that their religion is empty, the gospel, if you please, the reality in which they were raised is not the truth, but an adaptation of Babylonian sun god worship, they will repent, they will turn around. This prophecy is today. This is what Peter spoke of in the first century as being established in the present truth. It is the truth that is directly applicable to this present time. It is a prophetic word, a prophetic reality that is being delivered right now before your eyes and that will determine your eternal destiny. The fact of the matter is, we have inherited lies that were taught to us as truth. I was taught from long before I could read that The King James version of the Bible was the inerrant, infallible word of God. My copy is now more than 43 years old. I was taught that this inerrant, infallible word of God, which is the 1769 edition of the second edition of the 1611 King James of the English version of the Bible, and I was taught that every word was inspired. But by the second grade, I could read the King James and I saw that there was a problem. Jesus, as I read, said that there is going to be one sign and only one sign that he was the Christ, the Messiah. It was a sign of the prophet Jonah, only one sign. He repeated that statement and I had read it in every gospel record. It says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then, further on, it says that he will be raised on the third day. So, on our way out of church on Easter Sunday, we paused at the door to shake hands with the preacher, and I asked the question, "Uh, Pastor, how do you get three days and three nights between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? His answer was unacceptable for even a second grader. But we left the church, went home to feast on a big ham topped with canned pineapple rings and a formaldehyde-involved maraschino cherry. It would be another 10 years before I even understood why we were eating ham on that day. Another 10 years of reading the King James Version of the Bible and memorizing hundreds of scripture. There came a point that I discovered that history was not just boring dates and facts. History was the key to unlocking the mysteries in the Bible. In reading the Torah, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the other writings, was the key to even understanding the New Testament. In the 10th chapter of Genesis, we read the only accurate anthropological record on the genesis of nations. It's one of the great-grandsons of Noah, his name was Nimrod, who according to Genesis 10-8, began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a great hunter, Alpani, or in the face, in the face or against the Lord. Wherefore it is said in this verse, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, who caught men to enslave them, he was a mighty hunter in the face of against the Lord. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel in Iraq and Akkad and, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar, and out of that land went forth Asher. Now Asher went forth after the confusion languages, and Asher built Nineveh, which is uh, which is the house of Ninus, which is the house of Nimrod, and the city of Rehoboth and Kalna, in As- Ashsharia, Assyria. Asher built Asheria that is why all of the emperors of assyria uh their their names start with asher asher ben etc it says that the beginning of nimrod's kingdom this nimrod who was a mighty hunter who caught and enslaved men he was in the face of the almighty he was against the almighty the beginning of his kingdom was in babel Nimrod had a political, economic, and religious one world government. The Novus Ordo Seclorum of his day in which he was the unchallengeable executive. He was worshiped as of God until, as the story goes, Shem, the Malik Zadik, Shem, killed Nimrod cut his body into little pieces and spread it throughout the land of Shinar, which should have effectively ended the worship of Nimrod. But his wife, Semiramis, not willing to let the kingdom slip through her fingers so easily, said that Nimrod really didn't die. He has ascended up into heaven and has become the sun. And so it was that who then assigned the priest to develop the entire religious system in which they divided the year into the four quadrants, the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, the summer solstice, the longest day of the year, the vernal and autumnal equinoxes, the days in the year of equal daylight and equal darkness. Winter solstice, summer solstice, vernal and autumnal equinox, amen. Then, said that Nimrod has become the sun god and was worshiped by all of the confused languages of Babylon in the end. But before the languages were confused, what transpired is that Semiramis became pregnant, but not in a way that you might suspect, no. According to Babylonian sun god worship tradition, Semiramis becomes pregnant by the rays of the sun impregnating her, and she then delivers, brings forth the reincarnated Nimrod at the time of the winter solstice, December 25th on the ancient Babylonian calendar before the procession of the equinoxes. That is when little baby Tammuz was born. Oh, little baby Tammuz, now we've got her connection with, with the scriptures in Ezekiel 8. It talked about these abominations that were going on in the temple that the priest had their back to the temple, they were facing the east, worshiping the sun. And the Almighty told Ezekiel, wait just a minute, I'm gonna show you even a greater abomination. There were women in the temple weeping for Tammuz. Now why are these women weeping for Tammuz? This is the reincarnated Nimrod, the sun god born on December 25th. Why are they weeping for Tammuz? Well, it turns out that in the 40th year of Tammuz's life, that Tammuz was killed in a freak hunting accident when he was out hunting wild hogs, gored to death by a wild hog. And so they set aside 40 days of weeping for Tammuz, which eventually were put to be 40 days before his mother uh, Semiramis, who later, what happened? Semiramis died, eventually, and as Babylonian sun god worship tells us, that Semiramis ascended into the heavens and was named the Queen of Heaven by the gods and sent back to the earth on the first Sunday after the vernal equinox, the day in the spring of equal daylight and equal darkness on the first Sunday when the sun god was worshiped and she sent back to earth in a giant egg which plummeted into the Euphrates River. The egg broke open and out emerged Semiramis, reincarnated as the bare-breasted goddess of of fertility and sexual desire, Easter, who turned a bird into an egg-laying rabbit to proclaim her divinity. Then, what they did is they then took the 40 days of weeping for for Tammuz, in which the worshipers of the sun god would deny themselves a pleasure in this life for the pleasure of Tammuz in his afterlife. And so, the day before the 40 days start, that is when they would have a a sex orgy. In America, down New Orleans, they call this Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday at this point, and then after this orgy, they would deny themselves 40 days of fasting for Tammuz, and then culminating when his mother, Samarimus, was reincarnated as Easter, then they would sacrifice the wild boar that killed Tammuz and eat ham on Easter Sunday morning. I had to dig pretty deep in the scriptures and in history to find out why we were going home and eating ham on Easter Sunday. The scripture tells us, Have no other gods, Alpani, in my face. Just as Nimrod was Alpani in the face of the Almighty, against the Almighty, have no other gods in my face. Do not even name the names of pagan gods. But yet, here in the Western world, we are raised in a culture in which every day of the week is named after a different pagan god. Every month of the year, January through August, named after a, a different pagan god or uh, an emperor of Rome who became a god. It's only September, October, November, December that even harken back to the original biblical numbering of months. September means 7th, October 8th, November, Novus 9th, December, Deca 10th, Even though December is the 12th month on the pagan calendar, it still retains the name and number of 10 because it's the ancient biblical calendar, the 10th month. But we have been raised in a world that Jeremiah prophesied. He said that Gentiles would come into Israel from the ends of the earth and they would cry out in repentance for the abominations that they inherited. We're going to Continue reading. Ah, here we are, here we are. Verse 21. Therefore, therefore, again. Why is the therefore therefore? Therefore, because the Gentiles cry out in repentance for their inherited abominations, behold, I, Almighty God, will this once cause them, the Gentiles, to know, literally to understand. I will cause them to know my experience, my hand in my might, and they, the Gentiles, shall know that my name is the Lord. Wait just a minute, the Lord is not a name, it's a title. In Hebrew, it says Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, the name of the Lord. But following a tradition that developed in the second century, that the name was forbidden to be spoken because an edict of Rome, and then the rabbis further made an, uh, a takanot. they made a law which changed biblical law in order to save the lives of the Jewish people who were not obeying Rome and were being executed because they were still declaring the name of the streets, and after the execution of a beloved rabbi who was declaring the name of Jehovah in the streets in the Galilee, the Roman soldiers wrapped him in a Torah scroll, put wet cotton in it and, and lit it and tortured him and incinerated him to death in the streets. And that was the point that the rabbi said, okay, we must preserve life. Rome is forbidding us from speaking the name, but we are going to make Takano. We're gonna make a law which changed biblical law to preserve life. They did it for a good reason, but they said from now on, no one is allowed to speak the name as it is written. They then would speak Adonai instead of Yehovah. And so the people will then obey us instead of obeying Rome. And obeying us is what they want. we want them to do, obey us. So we are gonna make the declaration no one speaks the name. So that's why you see in your English version of the Bible, every time the name Yehovah yod hey vav hey appears in the original text, it is encoded behind the Lord with all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. Or when it says the Lord and then God in all capital letters, then it is Adonai Yehovah, Anytime it is all capitals, it is representative that in the Hebrew language, in the scriptures, that were given by inspiration of God, there's are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the name appears more than 6,828 times in your Bible. So that when your English version says, praise the name of the Lord, you might say, I would like to praise him. What is his name? In Hebrew it says, praise the name of Jehovah. When in the English version it says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, you say, well, I'd like to be saved. What's his name? Well, in the Hebrew it says, all those who call upon the name of Yehovah shall be saved. The rabbis taught their students every seven years how the name was to be pronounced, even though it was forbidden to be openly pronounced. They did not want it to be lost. But when the vowel pointings were put in the Torah and in the prophets by the Maserites, when they put the vowel pointings in, they only put two vowel pointings for yod He vav making it unpronounceable. But the scribes knew how it was to be pronounced. And in the three major texts, the Aleppo Codex, the Leningrad Codex, and in the Book of the Prophets, the scribes made a mistake twice in each one of those documents in which they put all three vowel pointings in. Until those three vowel pointings were found it was unpronounceable. No one knew how to pronounce it. They are not, as many say, the vowel pointings for Adonai. That is not correct, it's not true. Those three vowel pointings let us know that regardless of the fact that I pronounced it Yahweh at least a million times in my life, yet once the evidence came out and the documents came forth, then we knew how it was to be pronounced. yod He vav with the vowel pointings, Yehovah. And that is why Yeshua said, if you are given the truth and you obey the truth, more truth will be given to you. But if you don't obey the truth that you have, even that truth will be taken away from you. The truth, the truth in this generation, this present truth is that Israel has indeed come back into the land in these days. Israel became a nation in one day. This is such a miracle that after nearly 2,000 years that Israel is being brought back into the land and that the Gentiles are coming into Israel from the ends of the earth and they are recognizing that they have inherited lives from their forefathers. That they have inherited Babylonian sun god worship in all their major festivals. Christmas is Babylonian sun god worship. Nothing to do with the birth of Yeshua. Yeshua was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles when the Word is made flesh and tabernacle among us. Easter, Easter is the name of the bare-breasted goddess of fertility. It has nothing to do with the resurrection of Yeshua. Yeshua was pacif- crucified at Passover when the Passover lambs were sacrificed. He was raised and then presented the first fruits when those who are in the grave Came forth out of the grave. When he arose, they arose and appeared to men in the streets of Jerusalem. And Yeshua then presented the first fruits before the throne in heaven as the Kohen Gadol forever, the high priest forever. His first official act in his resurrection was acting in the role of the high priest and then presenting the first fruits before the Father's throne in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, these prophecies are now coming to pass that we understand. The Gentiles understand and Israel understands that we have all inherited lives from our forefathers. We are to come back to the Torah of which no one is allowed to add one single commandment or subtract one single commandment. We are to listen to the prophet. We must shema him. We must hear and obey. And if we will just admit that we've inherited a lie. If we will cry out in repentance, the Almighty promises that this once, he will reveal his hand, his might, and the strength to the Gentiles, and they will know that his name is Yehovah. After Yeshua's mikvah, his baptism by Yohanan ben Zechariah, it tells us in the fourth chapter of Matthew, verse one, then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. And then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones are made bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yeshua is under the strictest of orders that were originally articulated by Moses in the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy. Moses was given direct revelation from the throne room of heaven that there would be another prophet who would come in the future to correct the error that men would introduce into the household of Israel. We were all given the order that no one was ever allowed to either add to or diminish any commandments that we received from the mountain in Sinai. Yet Moses told us that we would indeed veer from that straight and narrow path and that the Almighty was going to send the prophet that we were absolutely required to Shema, to hear and obey. That prophet would only do and say what he hears from heaven. And, even though Yeshua was hungry, and though he could have commanded a stone to become bread, he did not hear that authorization from heaven. He said that man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We do need food for our physical bodies, without which we would become weak, anemic. We would eventually die. A man's soul also needs nourishment, or we become weak and unable to function with any real spiritual abundance in our lives. When we neglect the word of God, we become anemic, we become weak, and we begin to wither spiritually. The reason that the word of God is neglected is that it is not understood when it is read. We've not been taught how to read the Bible, it's a foreign book, it was written in a foreign language to a foreign culture long ago in a country far, far away. The ignorant and uneducated believe whatever their society tells them to believe. The the Bible was invented by man, the Bible is too hard to read. Our religious leaders tell us that the Bible can only be understood by professionals and that we must obey the historic interpretation of our particular denomination. Ladies and gentlemen, these things are just not so. When have we been taught about revelation? When have we been taught how we receive the word? Who's taught us figures of speech? Who has taught us the principles by which the scriptures interpret themselves so that we do not let loose our own idiocy when we come to the Bible? As I often say, most people use the scriptures the way a drunk uses a lamppost, for support rather than for illumination. People pick out the verses, the number of psalm bites that support what they want to believe and they ignore all the other scripture that contradict their conclusions. They pretend they don't even exist. Others use the Bible like a daily horoscope. By opening a page, Blindly placing a finger upon the passage for the day and reading their passage from God. Let's try it here, okay. Huh, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Ooh, I don't like that. Try another one. Go and do thou likewise. I don't like that one. What thou doest, do quickly. We are going to come to the word, we're gonna let the word speak in its original context. We are not going to play biblical roulette. We are not going to ignore the things that that contradict what we already believe or what our denomination has already taught us. We are going to go again to 2 Peter. Again, these are his for the most part, his dying words. This is his last address and they are to be remembered and that is why we have them in our hands today because these are words that are going to help us shine a light into the darkness. Second Peter chapter one and verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, Yeshua our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. If we want the divine empowerment to live a life of true abundance, if we want true peace to be multiplied to us, we must understand that it comes to us only through the knowledge of God and Yeshua. And that knowledge can only come from one place, the word of God and our obedience to it. The great and precious promises in his word have nothing to do with material abundance. In fact, if you seek material abundance rather than being a partaker of his divine nature, you will be stripped of both peace in your life and the power to live an abundant life. Many people who make up their own image of God use grace, that it refers to here, as a license to do whatever they want to. If grace is multiplied, they think that they've got just unlimited freedom, they just throw it all to the wind. But the scriptures define grace, both what it is and what it is not the redefinition of grace outside of the scriptures was epidemic even in the first century. Both Titus and Jude had to deal with the grace perversion. Let's take a look at Titus chapter two and we go to Titus 2, chapter two, Titus 2, 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has become clearly evident to all men teaching us or you know speaking of that grace teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust and that we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world i might say this present evil and corrupt world this is the substance of grace It is divine empowerment to do the otherwise impossible, to live a holy, a righteous, a godly life in the middle of a sick, twisted, and reverse world. Grace is not permission to violate or disobey the instructions of our Creator. This is the antithesis of what grace is. Jude had to deal this very thing with the with the false prophets, with the with the filthy, money-grubbing preachers of his day. In Jude one, in verse three, we read. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you concerning the common salvation, the word common is koine, it is defiled. It is a defiled message of salvation that he's writing to them about. Because, and we're gonna see it clearly, it uh, fully articulates this, He had to give particular diligence to write unto them concerning the defiled message of salvation. It was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend, fight for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For because there are certain men who have crept in and we were completely unaware of them who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, this judgment, they are ungodly men, they are evil, who twist the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They have twisted, they tortured the word grace and turned it into license. And they denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what it's talking about here, this is an issue of lordship. Obedience to the master, they deny the Lord, the Master God, that we obey Him and our Lord Yeshua Messiah. This is what is spoken of in Romans chapter ten, verses nine and ten. This is the word of faith that we preach: that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Yeshua, not the fire escape from heaven, a hell, not the not the not the the one that you know. You know, you just, or just accept Jesus, just accept him as your Savior. No, you confess him as Lord. In other words, I will do what he says to do. I will Shema, I will hear and obey because he is the prophet. Okay? If you will confess your mouth, the Lord Yeshua, and believe in your heart, God that raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So does Satan, thou shalt in the future be saved. It's an issue of lordship. It is not an issue of, oh, I accept you and now I get a Gospel of John, a pat on the rear end and I can go my way because I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want. No, evil men have turned grace into license.